One of the continuing themes of poetry, art, literature is about broken relationships and loneliness. And this is probably nowhere more um, picturesque than in country music. Uh, they build a whole legacy of, of literature on broken relationships. And so I wanted to start this morning by giving you some actual, actual country song titles. I've done some of these before, not these, but I've done some before. I found a whole different list based on loneliness and broken relationships. How can I miss you if you won't go away? And this is one of my favorites. I like this one. She chews tobacco, but she didn't choose me. <laughs> That's the girl you want to bring home to mama anyway, isn't it? Now, this is a little brutal. I don't know whether to go bowling or to kill myself. It's a little shocking, isn't it? Um, I keep forgetting I forgot about you. I I thought these were funnier than that. (laughs) Maybe it'll get better as we roll along. I don't know. Maybe not. I I liked you better before I knew you so well. (laughs) That's what I... You have a sense of humor here, people. I still miss you, baby, but my aim's getting better. (laughs) Oh, I know, these are ugly. I wouldn't take her to a dogfight because I'm afraid she'd win. I'm so miserable without you, it's like having you here. There's a continuing theme in some of these. If I had shot you by now, if I'd shot you when I wanted to, I'd be out by now. Yeah. (laughs) My wife ran off with my best friend, and I sure do miss him. (laughs) Please bypass this heart. I like this one. This is clever. Uh, I I baked my sweetie a pie, but he left with a tart. (laughs) I mean, I think they spend all their time thinking of titles. Here's another great one. I lost my honey bunny on a bad hair day. Oh, you get it? Thanks, Sarah, for laughing. Um, I found the recipe for heartbreak in a cookbook on your shelf. Now that we're miserable, I hope you're happy. And finally, you can clap at this one. Uh, I just bought a car from the guy that stole my girl, but the car don't run, so I figure we got an even deal. (laughs) That's longer than the whole song, probably. Well, from the ridiculous to the sublime, as they say, even the late Christian songwriter Rich Mullins struggled with this idea of loneliness, and especially even in his relationship with God. He has a very poignant, and it's a brutally honest song called Hard to Get, uh, which is really the the, the idea is, Lord, it's it's hard to get what you're up to, uh, what you're doing. And some of the words to that song say this, And I know you bore our sorrows, and I know you feel our pain, And I know it would not hurt any less, even if it could be explained. And I know that I am only lashing out at the one who loves me most. Even those of us who have been walking with God for years and years still get confused at times about God's ways. 
We often try to hide our pain and doubts, thinking that they're a sign of a lack of spirituality or a sign of carnality or a sign of doubt. And sometimes, if we're really honest, we carry around this superficial pseudo-faith. This kind of fake faith because we're afraid that if anybody really sees the loneliness of our heart and even our loneliness in our relationship with God, who knows our heart anyway, that it will reflect in some way about us. So we just try and fake it until we can move forward. Christ on the cross said these words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Though he knew the answer full well, and he knew what he was headed toward, even in that moment, Christ on the cross sensed a loneliness, a brokenness in relationship with his Father God. The cross is more than just a symbol of Christianity. It stands at the center of who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. It is not a part of the story. It's, I mean, it is part of a larger story. It's not a story in itself, but the coming of Christ, the cross, and the resurrection are one continual story. But without the cross, we have no resurrection. Emil Brunner, as I said last week, said these words, The cross is the sign of the Christian faith, of the Christian church, of the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. He who understands the cross aright understands the Bible. He understands Jesus Christ. At times, I confess last week that we move so fast through this season of Lent, through this time where we, next week, the kids will come in waving palm branches, and we have the Holy Week with Monday, Thursday, Good Friday. Easter Sunday, and two weeks from tomorrow will be post-Easter. We'll just, we'll have moved through it so fast. Will we have really taken time to reflect and meditate on the meaning of the, of the cross? What it means to us. And so I started last weekend and continue today and over the next couple of weeks to, to give meditations about the cross. Now, I confess last week, for those of you who weren't here, that these sermons are a little weighty. They're a little heavier because the cross cannot be passed over superficially. It has to be examined. It has to be looked at. It has to be received in all that it is for, so that we can walk in all that it brings. Last week, I asked you to meditate on this passage for the entire week, and I pray that you did so God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In the cross, when the sins of the world were received in Jesus Christ, it was more than just being laid on him. He became sin. He became sin. He was made sin. It was more than just my my rebellion was laid on him. He became rebellion. For one who knew no sin, he became sin so that I could become right in God's sight. Hopefully that passage has in some way seized your heart and life in this past week. On the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. 
meaning that all that he came to do, he accomplished when he died on the cross. My prayer for us, as in the words of Fanny Crosby and the, the great gospel hymn writer, said, Jesus, keep me near the cross. There's a precious fountain. Free to all a healing stream flows from Calvary's mountain. I want to encourage us again today to be near the cross. And in the cross, there is a, there is a darkness or loneliness that comes as a result of the cross. And I'd like for us to examine why that happened and what it means for us this morning. The first point is this. There is loneliness, the loneliness of the cross. In Matthew 26, verses 47 through 56, which I I hope you turn to in your Bibles. Uh, If not, I'll put it up on the screen. Jesus is just finishing praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Lord, if this cup could be removed from me, please let it, Father, be removed, which he knows it's not going to be. He comes and he finds his disciples asleep because they couldn't tarry. They couldn't stay awake for one hour. They're so exhausted. They couldn't stay awake. He comes and rouses them awake, kind of speaks to them for a minute, and immediately following, here's what occurs. While he was still speaking, meaning talking to his disciples, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd, armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, Friend, do what you came for. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? At that time, Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching and you did not arrest me. But this is all taking place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. This is the story of the remarkable unfolding of the arrest of Jesus. And just to highlight a couple of points, as I said, he's directly coming out of the agonizing prayer time in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's already weak. He's already prayed to the point where drops of blood, like sweat, are rolling down from him. He is completely physically exhausted already, much less facing all that he's about to, uh, to undergo. As he speaks to his disciples and gets them awake, this big crowd carrying clubs and spears, and they, they come into the garden, and Judas is arranged a signal where he's going to kiss the one who is Jesus that he should be arrested. Now, we in our Western culture, we find this whole kissing thing, men kissing men, something that we're, we're not real comfortable with. 
it, it has all sorts of connotations for us, so we avoid it. But in the Middle Eastern culture, even in Europe today, it's still a common practice when you greet someone to kiss them on both cheeks. I, I was in Spain just a couple of weeks ago, as I've mentioned, and um, uh, was with my son Adam, who is like, um, he's a little averse to physical contact. Uh, he doesn't really like uh, hugging and kissing and all that sort of stuff anyway. I was remarkable. He was walking down the street. He sees a friend. The next thing I know, he's kissing this guy on both cheeks. I mean, he's picked up the habit, this European habit of, of ways to greet each other. So if he gets back and he starts kissing you on both cheeks, just go with it. It's just part of it. So it's not that unusual that Judas would step out of the crowd and in a, in a loving way and in a friend way to greet someone that he recognizes. But in this case, it is a sign of, this is the man to arrest. So the crowd, they, they come forward and they seize Jesus to arrest him. As we know from the other gospel writers, Peter is the one armed with a sword. He's packing uh, in that day. He's carrying, I don't know if he's got a permit or not, but he's got his his sword. He draws his sword and he whacks the um, high priest servant, uh, who is also identified in other gospels. Uh, We don't know if he hits him on the head or the helmet and it goes off and it slices his ear off. And um, Jesus says, hey, that's not what we're here for. Um, I'm not here. If, if this didn't take place, everything that is supposed to happen according to the scripture wouldn't take place. So he picks up the guy's ear, and according to other gospels, he heals him. Now, don't you think, I, I don't really get this whole scene at times, but don't you think that would make the rest of the crowd just kind of stop for a second and say, wow, he just put that guy's ear back on. Maybe we shouldn't be arresting this guy. Jesus turns to his followers and says, listen, This has to take place. Um, Peter, you with your one dinky sword is not going to make that big a difference. I could call 72,000 angels, and they would be here in an instant to defend me if that was the plan and the purpose of God. But it's not, because the cross is where he knows he's headed. He just prayed about it in the garden. He just looked for it to be removed. He knows it's not going to. He knows it's his destiny to head there. And then all the disciples flee. They all take off. Jesus' earthly followers have abandoned him. We see in verses 69 through 75, which I'm not going to read, that's where Peter, after Jesus has been arrested, taken before the Sanhedrin, and is being um, tried, basically. We see that's where Peter denies him, where Peter says, I don't even know this guy. In the space of a short period of time, Jesus has been betrayed. He's been deserted. He's been denied. The loneliness that comes, that Jesus faces the cross, is almost overwhelming. I mean, I know some of us experience loneliness to a degree from physical companionship right now on this earth, but think about where Jesus was at this moment where everybody is gone. All his followers, the people he's invested three years with, they are out of there. He is facing the cross alone. And if that weren't enough, then on the cross, he faces the ultimate 
separation. It says in, over in the next chapter in Matthew 27, verses 45 through 46, from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, by the way, that's from noon till three o'clock our time, that's by the way it's worded, darkness came over all the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Darkness covers the area. And this is not some sort of eclipse. This is not some sort of naturally explained phenomena. This is a darkness that comes as a result of the cross. And in one of the most remarkable statements and one that we theologically can't explain or understand, Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why is it so hard to explain? We can't understand how God the Father could separate himself from God the Son. But unless you try and explain it away and say this is not what Jesus meant, this is the only time in eternity past or eternity future in which the Trinity, there's some sort of separation. Jesus, for all eternity has been in relationship with God the Father and God the Spirit. Because they're one God. But in some remarkable way, somehow God the Father turns his back on the Son who has now been made sin. It's a fulfillment of the Psalm, uh, Psalm 22, 1. And it, it shows the, the loneliness the darkness, the weight of the cross. It shows how much God hates sin. It shows how Jesus Christ experienced a loneliness and a darkness that none of us, in spite of whatever else we may have gone through in life, could not have experienced. When Jesus dies on the cross, when he says, it is finished, When he gives up his last breath, he dies truly alone because he's been betrayed, he's been deserted, he's been denied, and ultimately he's been forsaken. Why did all of this occur? It all occurred so that the relationship that God intends for us to have, we could have with him. When he shouts, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's because the father has turned his back on sin and so that sin could be taken care of. All sin has been placed on him. He has been made sin so that, why did we look in 2 Corinthians 5.21? So that we could become right. God's righteousness could be displayed in us. Without this loneliness of the cross, without the full weight, without the full penalty of sin being realized, we would not be in right relationship with him. God's love is fully released at this moment. God's plan has been unfurled. In Matthew 27, even the 
even the guard recognizes that Jesus is who he said he was. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the Son of God. See, it's one thing, it's one thing to recognize, but it's a whole different thing to receive. And this is where the whole seed analogy that I was talking about at the first of the sermon has to come into play. It's one thing for the seed to fall even on your heart and for you to recognize the cross, but for it fully to be realized in your life, you have to receive it. You have to receive forgiveness. You have to receive who Jesus Christ is. You have to believe he is who he said he was. You have to receive him as the leader and ruler of your life and the one who forgives your sins. Because the equation of the cross is really pretty simple, and it's, but it's the power of the gospel. And it's this, God punishes sin. No matter what, no matter what we may think, God punishes sin because he is holy, because God and sin cannot be together, they cannot mix, he punishes sin. We've talked about this in the past. I know you've probably heard this so many times, but hear it again this morning. All of us have sinned. All of us. I mean, look around the room. No matter how good you think so-and-so is, they have sinned. And our sin is like tallying up a debt that we can't pay. I know for many of us, we've been at times in debt, and we've looked at our debt, and we know our income, and we're like, I don't know how I'm going to pay this debt off. Listen, when it comes to sin, you don't even have the right currency. You don't even have the right amount. It's not an amount issue. It's a currency type issue. You don't, there's no way you can pay for the debt of sin that you have incurred. And the problem about sin is that the The consequence of it is death. For the wages of sin is death. God hates sin so much that he can't tolerate it that his ultimate design is that sin be annihilated. But the second point of this great equation is this. God loves people. He loves you. He loves me. I mean, how much does he love us? He loves us so much that he sent his own son to die on our behalf. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world that he sent his son, his only son, to die for us. God put our sin on his son and punished it there. We saw this last week that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The loneliness of the cross is what we spoke of last week, that the sin of all mankind, past, present, future, was placed on Jesus Christ. He became sin. Now, I know that, um, I know that when we start doing the math that it, It's hard to figure. In other words, if it were just my sin, that's one thing. 
if it were just mine and TV's sin, that'd be another thing. That'd be a little weightier. Mine and TV and Craig add us up on Jesus. That's another one. Add Mark into the equation. Add Cheryl into the equation. Add Andre into the equation. Now you got five or six weight of sin. Look around this room. All sin combined in this room put on one. It's getting weighty. Right? But take every person, past, present, and future, and all sin of all mankind and place it on Christ. The loneliness, the darkness of the cross. That's how much God hates sin. But the final part of the equation is this. God desires for us to recognize and receive Jesus. He's patient. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but he wants everyone to come to repentance. He wants all of us to receive what Christ did and to walk in his life. Because when we do, when we do, there is no condemnation for us anymore. Because we're in Christ Jesus. This message is so simple and yet so profound. The simplicity, the simplicity is this. Christ died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. To take the payment upon himself. It, it seems so simple. That all we have to do is believe in Christ as the one who forgives our sins and leads our lives. And we can move from loneliness, isolation from God into relationship with God. We can move from darkness into light. Sometimes we make the good news, the gospel, much more complicated than it really is. And then... At times, after we've received it, it starts to become old to us. You may be here today and have never received this good news of the gospel that Christ forgives your sins and he wants to forgive you and lead your life so that you can be in relationship with the one who created you. Listen, you could have gone to church for your whole life. You could have heard this message a hundred times in different ways. But this morning, I pray that the Spirit of God would draw you to the beauty and the glory of this message. Because whatever else you think Christianity is, this is where it really boils down to. It comes to this. It's not about you going to church. It's not about you giving money. It's not about you uh, living a good life. I mean, God's all for all of those things. But the, the beauty of Christianity is this. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And the question is really pretty simple. Have you received God's righteousness? Are you walking in that or... Are you still separated from him as a result of your sin? Does this mean you'll act right the rest of your life after you come to know him? No. 
No, you're going to still struggle. You're still going to stumble. You're still going to fall. But there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You pick yourself back up. You change direction. You ask God's forgiveness. You move forward in the grace that he's already provided. I want to encourage you, if you're here this morning and haven't received him, do so. If you are here and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, I I want to encourage you this morning again to reflect on the glory of the cross. Has Christianity, a relationship with God, become so old that it's just dull? Or this morning, can we really say, this is unbelievable. And it's incredible that I get to walk in this all the time. Where is, where is there room in this glory for boredom? Where's there room in this glory for being dull? Where's this room in this glory for being judgmental about others? Where is there room in this for just going through the motions? I believe that if we reflect really on the glory of the cross, it should stir our hearts in some way. Maybe to tears, maybe to laughter, maybe to uh, excitement to share it with others. I don't believe that Jesus went to the cross and experienced the forsakenness of God in order that Christianity could be the dullest religion on the face of the earth. Instead, I believe we we get to experience the sufferings of Christ in order that we can know the power of his resurrection. I mean, it's true that we all like sheep have gone astray. And that as a result, God laid on him the iniquity of us all. But as a result, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain. That is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, we can draw near to God with a sincere heart in full, full, full assurance of faith. What in that passage, what in that passage makes us think that we're there because we deserve to be there? Or that we have to work harder to get there? Or that we don't deserve to be We're there because Jesus did it all for us. Jesus, keep us near the cross. There's a precious fountain, free to all, a cleansing stream that flows from Calvary's mountain. Lord, I pray this morning that we will receive again and aright the glory of the cross. Jesus, I pray that you would draw us near to the cross, and that this morning we would know in a very full and a very real, spectacular way your cross.
just with your eyes closed, I don't do this very often, but if you're here this morning and you would say, you know what, Pastor Bart, for the first time, I really desire to walk in the glory of the cross. For the first time, I want to receive in truth the forgiveness of my sins. I want to follow Jesus Christ with all that I am. I want to be in relationship with God. Would you pray for me? Everybody's going to keep their eyes closed. Just raise your hand. I'm just going to pray for you. I won't single you out. I won't. I just want an opportunity to pray for you. If that's you this morning, you'd like for me to pray for you to receive forgiveness of the cross and a relationship with Christ. Just raise your hand so I can pray for you. I, I, I'm not going to pressure anyone. I do believe that there's someone here today that the Spirit of God is drawing. And I want to give you opportunity to receive prayer. So if that's you. Okay. Anyone else? Father, I pray for those who've lifted their hands. I pray, God, you would, they would receive the glory of the cross of Christ this morning. Fresh, new, life-giving. That they would know that their sins are forgiven because of what you did on the cross. Lord, draw them today to Jesus. Lord, for those who are here who already know Christ, I pray that during these days ahead, as we approach Palm Sunday and then Resurrection Day, that God, you would stir within us again, afresh and anew, the message and glory of the cross of Christ. Lord, we thank you and bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand up, let me